0: broadcasting live from the finley cadillac performance studio
1: it's unnecessary roughness on raider nation radio 920 and welcome back to unnecessary roughness here on raider nation radio leading off for our number two it is david Sampson, the host of nothing personal with david Sampson, a part of the levitard network this man is a jack of all trades the former president of the miami Marlins, so he knows it all about baseball and david thank you so much for joining us today how you doing today
0: I'm doing great. Thank you.
1: All right. So let's just jump straight into it. Las Vegas may be a baseball town. SB1 was passed last week in the Senate and the Assembly after long special sessions that who knows how much it costs us as taxpayers. But when you see this going to going into place with the Oakland Athletics, them trying to move to Las Vegas, what do you make of this entire situation?
0: Well, it's definitely been complicated, and there's no question that Vegas has worked very hard to get sports teams. It started with hockey. They've got WNBA. They've got football. It's clear they want the NBA as well with the development of the new arena that they're trying to do, uh, that Tim Lewicki is trying to do, and they want to just finish the Daily Double and get baseball. Will it be the A's? I still have some question about it, though each day that passes uh, I get more uh, – more convinced that it could happen, but there's a lot of steps left.
1: And then when it comes to the A's and them wanting to, I'm just going to say, use Las Vegas as leverage, how real do you think this move could be possibly? Or is it just that, hey, we're, they're just using Vegas as that bargaining chip to the city of Oakland?
0: Well, times have changed. Uh, back in 2005, 6, 7, uh, I used Las Vegas as leverage, trying to get a stadium done in Miami. But at the time, there was no way that baseball was going to Allow a team in Vegas, but things have totally changed. The leagues have embraced gambling; they've embraced the gambling revenue, and certainly it's been proven that Vegas can house professional sports teams. The question is: Is baseball late into the market, and what effect would that have? The question is: What is the market like during the summer? Because that's the big issue in Florida when they expanded to Florida. It's a very crowded, great place full of wealthy people during the winter. But in the summer, most of them go away. Vegas is more of a 12-month place. But clearly in the summer, you do need a retractable roof. And you need to hope that uh, the community will embrace it because it's a lot of games.
1: All right, so I'm glad you mentioned that, the retractable roof on nine acres of land. You've been on record of saying that you do not think that is possible at all. So what kind of chicanery would need to be involved for the A's to build that stadium that they're looking for on nine acres?
0: Well, I think Bally's would have to allow the A's to either have air rights so they could house the roof on additional acres, or they'd have to spend the money to do like a convertible car retractable roof, which I've never seen in baseball, where it sort of folds onto itself. And uh, I just think that's very expensive, hasn't been done. So nine acres is pretty tight. It's a very small stadium, and that's another issue in terms of the financial projections of a baseball team. When you have 30,000 seats, you're not going to sell out every game. And even if you did, the maximum would be about 2.4 to 2.5 million people. And I just don't see, there's no team really that sells every ticket every game in all of baseball and I don't think Vegas will be the first city to do that
1: again we're talking to David Sampson here on Unnecessary Roughness the host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson my man Danny's got a question for you hey
2: David we um we have a ESPN show here in the morning and last week I believe it was we had on a professor over at UNLV who her part of her job is to study tourism and especially sports tourism and one of the worries that she brought up was with baseball being such a local sport, meaning the majority of the – you're not going to travel for too many series outside of the big names. Do you think that's a, that's a smart worry to have with these A's potentially coming to Las Vegas?
0: Well, I don't think the owners are buying into any of the slides that were shown to the assembly to get the bill passed. There is no way that 5,000 people a game will be tourists who come for the sole purpose of seeing a Las Vegas A's baseball game. That's just unrealistic. Baseball knows it. The A's know it. And I guess, you know, the Vegas Assembly did not know it or didn't care either way. But that said, in order to sell out, you you need a combination of a very loyal and large fan base. And I don't think that that is based on the A's record this year. I don't think that because they're bad – that Vegas wouldn't embrace the A's, just as if they were winning the World Series this year. I don't think that means they would sell out either. I think it takes time, and no new market is a slam dunk. And the question for owners is, are they trading one problem for another? And the owners will do some calculations about how much revenue sharing the A's receive, and would would they receive more or less in Vegas? And the answer better be less, or else a move doesn't make sense.
2: Were you at all shocked when... The A's provided the number of potentially getting twenty seven thousand people on average for a thirty thousand seat stadium, which I believe, if I did the math right, it was about ninety one percent seats sold. And I think it was the Yankees when I looked it up; they were only at about ninety. I'm sorry, eighty five or eighty seven percent on average. Were you surprised at all that the Nevada legislatures didn't? Try to argue against that, because that seems like an astronomical number to try to hit.
0: Well, I'm not even sure that would make my top 10 of things that I'm surprised that the Nevada legislators (laughs) didn't talk about (laughs) or ask about. You know, these things are, it's all done behind the scenes. There's a lot of hiding behind community benefits and and green space and and development and incremental tourism and being a major league city and all the buzzwords that you use to get public financing – I've used them all. I get them. I understand why you make the argument, but again, I can find 10 economists who tell you that the number of tourists will not be what they say, that the number of fans will not be what they say, the economic development incrementally will not be what they say, but I can also pay people to tell me it will be that way, and I think it's the job of the legislators to realize that it's all just positioning, and you can make numbers up however you want, but the proof will be in the pudding. And the pudding will be when a team moves and you've got your own baseball team, what will the attendance be? And that's what current owners are trying to figure out, what is real about the Vegas market and what is not.
3: So you actually mentioned it already that in 05, you kind of already used Vegas as a stalking horse. One of the things that I'm finding fascinating is the speed at which the A's are trying to move this along. Because if I recall correctly, in 05, you also took trips to San Antonio, you you guys took trips to a lot of places where this feels like it's moving very quickly for, like, the actual outcome to happen.
0: It's one of those things, right, where you think it's very quick, but to the A's, they've been trying to get a new ballpark for over a decade. So to them, it feels like it's gone very slowly. And they certainly have been focused a lot on the A's. They need on, – on Vegas, they believe that that is the best market available to them. It helps with not needing realignment. So you can't take a West Coast team and move it to an East Coast city. You have to stay in that time zone. You have to stay in that general area. And Las Vegas makes the most sense. It's always been a city that baseball has talked about since they started embracing gambling as being a candidate to get an expansion team or a relocation team. So I'm not surprised by it. I think what I'm surprised at is the way the A's went about it. I, I just think it's been a little clumsy. And you saw that manifested in how long it took with the special session and all of the, uh, you know, the recesses that took place. That usually happens over a period of months, if not years. And Oakland was able to do it in a matter of days and weeks.
1: David, I want to read off a tweet from you from a Nevada legislator, Steve Yeager. Vegas doesn't tolerate losing, and the pressure to invest in a winning team will be immense. In addition to the obvious upsides that winning brings in terms of attendance and loyalty, and loyalty CVGK, go ahead and bookmark this tweet to throw it back in my face if I am wrong about that. In your time in Miami as the Marlins team president, how much pressure did the city of Miami ever put on you to build a winning team?
0: It, it was never mentioned. <laughs> the thought was that we'd be able to increase payroll and that would help. I think teams like the Rays and the A's have proven that you don't need a large payroll to win. You just need a good front office. But I would, I would encourage Mr. Yeager to understand that during the course of a baseball life in a city, there will be plenty of years of losing and plenty of years of winning. It's just the better front offices keep the windows open for winning longer and keep the windows that are open for losing shorter. But every team goes through it unless you're L.A., or, or the Yankees, and and Oakland will not be that. Vegas will not be that. So I think that everyone should manage their expectations. It's not going to be every year winning ninety games and going to the playoffs. All
1: right, I want to ask you also about the A's and let's say the reverse boycott that they had, you know, at that at the stadium where they hey they're really trying to get the fan base involved. If and when do you think that we actually see the Oakland A's touch foot in Las Vegas?
0: So the reverse boycott was, you know, it, it, it was something where the fans were just trying to have a voice. And I get that. They're frustrated. Been, they don't want to lose their team. They realize that once you lose a team, it's hard to get a team back. And so they decided to, to manifest their frustrations in, in going to a game. And I thought that it was effective and interesting. But at the end of the day, it was not very dispositive. It didn't change anybody's mind. It didn't make the deal happen in Oakland. That requires work from the mayor's office and the owner. And it didn't make a deal happen or not happen in Vegas. I think that this has to happen by January of 24, because that's the deadline that baseball gave Oakland to have a stadium deal done somewhere, or else they lose revenue sharing. So that's really the timeline. So I think there's plenty of steps left between now and January of 24. So if I'm Vegas, I'm not celebrating But I'm also not thinking that we don't have a chance and that we're only a stalking horse the way you've always been. I think this is the best and most real chance Vegas has ever had. But on the other hand, if you don't get the A's, I think the financing bill and everything that Vegas has done puts it in a great position to get an expansion team.
1: Again, we're talking to David Sampson. You can follow him at David P. Sampson on Twitter, and he's the host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Now, David, we also want to talk to you about a little bit else what's going on in the world of sports business, and Danny has a question about that.
2: Yeah, okay. David, um, I I was watching your, uh, your show earlier this morning, the um, uh, Nothing Personal with David Sampson, and something that caught my attention because I'm from that area is the – Sovereign money that just bought a stake in the uh, monumental Washington sports. And I just wanted to pick your brain about that for a minute. And um, one thing that you had mentioned was, as a lot of people in the sports world know, uh, the owner, Ted Leonisis, he's also trying to purchase the Washington, um, the Washington Nationals. Do you think... Uh, this foreign money, the sovereign fund money coming from the Middle East, do you think that could potentially hurt his chances of being able to purchase the nationals?
0: No, I think it's the opposite. I think it actually helps. I think that this was a liquidity event for Ted and he gets to take some money and, and put it toward other things he wants to buy. One of which is the Washington nationals. So we can put them on the channel that he also bought, which houses the capitals and the Wizards. So this is just the beginning, and I said it on the show this morning, I'll say it again, and I'll stand on a mountaintop and scream it. If you think the nat- the, the, uh, bull- the Bullets, that's funny. Now I just showed my age. If you think the Wizards are the only team or last team to take sovereign fund money, you are incorrect. It is going to be an avalanche of investment now because it's a great way for Qatari, the Qatari Fund, the Saudi Arabian Fund, it's a great way for them to get their they're into the U.S. sports world and the business world here in the U.S., and it makes them feel as though they're successfully doing sports washing and, and improving their reputation. And leagues need to take their money and teams need to take their money because owners want it. And I think that that's the important thing to realize is owners want to cut losses. They want to keep the value of their teams going up, 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 and up, and the way to do it is by finding alternate sources of funds. And these sovereign funds are those alternate sources.
2: When when the Saudis first created the Live Tour, a lot of – we heard from a lot of people about, oh, how can they do this? How can they leave PGA and go take this money from uh, from a group of people who don't necessarily care about other people's well-beings? Uh, we'll put it <laughs> that way. Um but with Qatar and everything that we heard about the World Cup and the mistreatment of everybody who was building the stadiums and uh, all the stuff that went on with the actual event goers in Qatar and all that, how come we haven't really heard anybody, or at least I haven't personally, I haven't heard any any uproars about Qatari money buying into Washington sports like we did here with Saudi money buying into golf and now being linked with the PGA through their most recent um, coming together.
0: So listen, they've been smart about it. Can you imagine if the Qatari Fund made an announcement that they were starting an alternate NBA oh, and that they were going to pay players, forget $50 million a year, they were going to pay them $200 million a year to play in a league that would be funded by the Qatari Fund? Then you'd hear plenty of noise. But the way they positioned it is that they're limited partners And as George Starnbender used to say, there's nothing more limiting than being a limited partner. So they're very smart. They have no operational control. They have no say, no power, no nothing. They're limited partners. Therefore, they view people as giving them a pass for doing that. And people have been. You nailed it. People are giving Ted Leonis a pass for doing this. But the reason I'm not is the floodgates are open, and once you open them, You are only one step away from them controlling teams the way they do already in the EPL across the pond with soccer. And that seems to be a logical next step, whether it's one year, five years, 10 years or 20 years. We all know how quickly years can pass. And if you're looking at those funds taking over teams in our leagues, I wonder whether that will be a cause for uproar.
1: David, something else I want to ask you about that came down the pipe recently in the NHL is that the decision to ban players from wearing specialty jerseys in the pregame warm-ups, is that a big deal, little deal, or no deal? Because Pride Night obviously took most of the conversation, but it's just about any specialty night that causes or raises uh, issues or awareness to any issue.
0: It's amazing. You know, the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manford, came out and said he doesn't want the Pride Night or any night to – be uh, involved in uniforms or hats or bases. You saw a lot of baseball players speak up. You've seen hockey players speak up. And I'm fine if people want to have their own opinion, however wrong it may be. That said, what, what Gary Bettman's doing is he's trying to put players in a position where they don't have to look bad. And my view is if you've got a bad point of view, then you should be open to looking bad. And if you have a lack of tolerance, then you should be called on called out for having a lack of tolerance and what the commissioners are doing is giving these players a pass which is showing kids and, and adults and stakeholders that it's okay not to be tolerant and i totally disagree with that
3: all right so i just want to have a real quick fun question for you while you're watching the a's or maybe even the marlins in the past What was the point – did you ever have a point where you looked at the uh, crowd and go, I think we are paying more people to be here than have actually paid to be here?
0: So we didn't do a lot of comp tickets uh, because my view of that is if you give something away for free, then that's what they'll think it's worth. Exactly. So there were many times when you're at a game and you can hear a pin drop, and I unfortunately was a part of two teams where attendance was an issue. Maybe it's me. Maybe I was the cause more than the market. (laughs) But certainly, you notice it, you talk about it in the clubhouse before the game, you speak to players after the game, you try to get them to ignore the fact that it's quiet, and it's, it's really bad when your players want to get on the road, and they want to be in front of better atmospheres. That's hurtful, because you feel responsible for that. So yeah, there were many times when I would look around and uh, be, be embarrassed and upset with what was happening.
3: All right, so the other fun question I have is based off the TV show Ted Lasso. Okay. Is there any realism to a owner ever selling their team, like 49% of their team, to fans? Not the fake, you know, what Green Bay Packers do, do, where they're just like, yeah, you can have a share, but actual, like, publicly traded sell stocks of the team.
0: No chance toilet pants. Yep. Zero. Not, it's not, it's fantasy at best. No, it would not happen what happens now, the closest you can come is the public is when the pub it's a public company like the Braves, Liberty Media, but there's no control. It's not even as much power as what the Qatari National Sovereign Fund has with the with the Wizards. It would be nothing. The way they do it, actually, is something called personal seat licenses, where you actually have to pay money in order to pay money to get a ticket, to get a season ticket. And I think that's about as close as fans can come to feeling like they have ownership, and uh, fans don't like that very much, so I, I don't see that ever happening.
3: No.
1: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> again, we're, again, we're talking to David Sampson here on Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio. David, only got a few questions for you. We're going to save the movie questions for the end, but I've got a one more A's question. When it comes to trying to get public money, three hundred and eighty million, I think I think it's what it's set at. But when it comes to public money and the revenue that it's going to give the city. That same Congressman Steve Yeager, he said, hey, the, the Allegiant Stadium tax, it's brought in $2 billion for you know the uh, state academic fund or something uh, along, those, along those lines. Just how real are those projections when it comes to the public money that you need to build a stadium and how it's going to impact the community?
0: I would say it's a but-for argument. I'm always more interested in the incremental number. So when people throw out the bigger number, that, that is the total amount of the tax. That gets collected. But the question is, if that stadium didn't exist or that team did not exist, does that mean none of the dollars would have been spent that would have generated tax revenue? The answer to that is, of course not. People would have taken their disposable income and used it elsewhere and bought other goods and services. So but four is only if there were no stadium, then you wouldn't have blank. So with the stadium, let's say that the Vegas stadium gets an all-star game. There's no question that without the stadium there would not be an all-star game and people are coming to town and people are spending money. But even that is not 100% incremental because if they didn't have an all-star game to go to, they'd do something else. So I've never seen a study which has been accurate in telling people, and it's not that your people are lying to you, it's just really hard to measure what the benefit is for all of these things. It's not just stadiums, it's museums and parks and convention centers and extra development around hotels, all of that stuff, it's very, very hard to do an actual accounting of what the benefit is.
2: All right, David, I got one more fun question for you. What made you pick Ferris Bueller's Day Off over Fast Times at Ridgemont High for your 80s movies list?
0: So, listen, Fast Times at Ridgemont High has one of the great scenes of all time. Of all time. There's no question when the cars start playing moving stereo and out comes Phoebe you're thinking your life has just changed. I get it. But overall, Ferris Bueller, from start to finish, is just a better movie for me. But it's so funny you pick up on that. That was a very big thought. I didn't just make that list out of nowhere. I took some time. And that was a tough call. But at the end of the day, that's how I feel.
1: All right, so why is Dead Poets Society number one for you?
0: That movie just has uh, has both haunted me and uh, given me... Pleasure and pain my entire life since I first saw it. I've seen it so many times. The relationship of the son to his father, what happens to the son. I can't see that actor in any other role. The guy who played the father, he, he, he makes me sick. He was so good in that movie as that parent, the father of the student. And it, it just, it impacted me. And Robin Williams is a teacher because I had professors in my life who were that meaningful to me and that important to me. So that movie just hit every chord. All
1: right, David, last question for you. What's the last good movie you've seen?
0: It certainly is an Extraction 2, which I watched <laughs> today. Chris Hemsworth <laughs> doesn't do it for you? Holy cow. I'm going to review it next week on Nothing Personal, but my God, <laughs> this is terrible.
1: Oh, man, you don't like a good shoot 'em up action movie?
0: I think be I mean, a good one. I, it, it was, it's whatever. It's just. Who's got the bigger set of special effects? How many people can you kill? It's well choreographed. The fights were well choreographed. I grant you that. The script, my guess is, was 12 pages long. And it was just <laughs> a lot of, ah, ooh.
2: <laughs>
0: so I didn't really, it's certainly not going to be nominated for screenplay. I can tell you that.
1: All right. That's David Sampson. You can follow him at David P. Sampson. He's the host of Nothing Personal. Before we let you go, what else do you have going on?
0: I'm training for something to, for the 4 4 challenge. So I'm going to run four miles every four hours for 48 hours to try to find a cure for Parkinson's, which, which my best friend has. I'm doing it in September, and it's a crazy challenge, and I love doing crazy athletic things. I love raising money for charity, but trying, staying awake for two hours and running four miles every four hours and doing it for two days straight, it's going to be interesting. But uh, hopefully... And I'm not going to say this in public. But if Parkinson's gets cured by September, I won't have to do it. So that's what I'm secretly rooting for.
1: All right, man, you are a brave man at that. Guys, he's even preparing for a marathon on the moon. Heard him say that on the Labertard show.
0: Show. Not on the moon. In space. <laughs> in space, Not Excuse on me. the moon.
1: <laughs> a marathon in space. Man, David Sampson, a jack of all trades. Thank you so much for joining us on Unnecessary
0: Roughness. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.
1: And that was David P. Sampson. I mean, come on. That was great. Training for a marathon in space. You know, a marathon. I mean, you know, running four miles every four hours. I mean, more power to him. Was even on um, Survivor. And he was was the first person eliminated from that season.
3: There were so many questions that I didn't get to because I wanted to talk to him for so long that I was just like, no, no, no. We got to focus on the ace. We got to focus on the
1: ace. He's a friend of the show now. So maybe we'll have him
3: back. And... I I could just ask him questions like, hey, all right, so when you sold the perfect game tickets for when your team lost and you sold the unsold tickets as souvenirs, what was that business meeting like? Because I am fascinated by the idea that our team lost and we're going to sell memorabilia. Hey,
1: man, got to make a buck somehow. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about running backs and how they're not making enough of the big bucks. Don't go anywhere. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. And welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Damon Cotton, Danny Smythe, Jared Justice filling in as best we can for one Q Myers, who is living it up on vacation out there in Hawaii. The number one question I got to ask you when he comes back, I think his son might have grown, you know, like a 6'5", combo guard he looks like a good six seven right now Uh, you know i'm i guess i'm not the best arbiter of height but i'm like man that kid's grown since i've seen him
3: nah q is (laughs) shrinking let's get it trending on twitter just every single time you see a picture of him and his son just go man have you shrunk
1: yeah it looks like they're having a blast but yeah so q will be back next week don't y'all worry but maybe we'll see
3: Yeah, I'm sure Q will listen to this and be like, all right, you know what? It's time for me to retire undefeated from video boxing.
1: Maybe. I mean, I've never been to Hawaii. Maybe it's the type of place where you're going. I mean, and you never want to come back. But who knows? But I do want to go back out to the text line and you can be a part of the show. You can call at 702-365-9200 or you can text into the show at 69187-KEYWORD-RNR. We have a we have a response. Danny You asked Vegas Pete to say why is he excited about the additions or why does he you know why does he think that people need to be excited about this coming season? And he said I think they really upgraded the pass rush with Wilson and Young. The passing game will be top ten, as Vinny said, they gonna have two they're gonna have to cut a few good receivers. Zeus White should come into his own if Jacobs if Jacobs doesn't show White has four four speed. So there's a couple of reasons for why he's excited about the Raiders this upcoming season. Okay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, I mean the great thing about the passing game is that obviously you have the leadership of Brian Hoyer in the room and he's going to be there to, you know, herald in a new le- like a, you know, a new eon there you go. of passing for the Raiders.
1: All right, we got another text. This is from Rob in Oakland. I don't think the Raiders are being overlooked per se. As you guys pointed out, the definition of overlooked matters. We're going to have to prove we can win before people predict we'll win. I agree with the 707 that the coaches have to prove they can coach. Game time decisions matter. But part of coaching matters. But part of coach assessment is player development, which Josh McDaniels alluded to in a press conference a short time ago. In addition to this year's rookies, I want to see what last year's rookies look like to see whether the coaches are helping the young players improve. Fellas, thanks for holding down the show today. I'm loving the Soul Beat edition, Unnecessary Roughness episodes. Soul Beat.
2: See, All right. I, see, I, hey. I know like we had talked co- like a couple of days ago and we were like, "Oh, this is going to be interesting to see how it goes." People are liking it. Yeah. People like this show. It's going to be fun.
1: All right. And this is from Big Dub Raider. A Damon, You know Q is happy. His number 1 warrior wish came true. No more Jordan Poole. Go Raiders. <laughs> I've never seen a fan base so happy to get rid of a key contributor to a championship team. Especially for someone who didn't do anything wrong.
3: Well, I mean. Jared, hey, you punched uh, me in the face I was and then Lotus just...
1: said, Damon, you got to go, man. We let you stay around for a little bit, man. But Jared really just don't. You know what? Not only does Jared not like you, Danny didn't want to say nothing. He don't like you either. <laughs> Finhouse just got here and he can't stand you either. But what about all the good work I do? Man? I'm sorry, man. Nobody likes you. But he punched me. You shouldn't have put (laughs) your face
2: near his fist. But also, Jared's (laughs) thinking about leaving, so we need to keep
3: him. So you got to go.
1: That is, it's it's baffling to me. If you want to say it's, Jared
3: hasn't broke double digits in a while, but we think this is really going to turn it around. (laughs)
1: And then you know. Wait, the, wait, how did I become
3: Draymond Green? I don't want to be Draymond Green. <laughs> uh, I want to be Draymond Green.
1: Who do you want to be then? I wanted to paint myself as a sympathetic figure.
3: I want to be Clay Thompson, <laughs> the guy who's always hurt but somehow a key contributor. Another guy, Jordan Poole, should be looking at like
2: I'm better than him. Yeah, but Jordan Poole didn't get punched in the face by Clay Thompson. Well,
1: that's because Clay was hurt. You know what? But shout out to Jordan Poole. I think he's going to be thriving in Washington. I think he's going. You know, man, he's going to be out there. Putting up thirty shots a game, Tyus Jones passing him the ball, you know, setting him up, getting him to his nice spots, and he's not so, going to have to answer to anybody.
3: So you're the no. guy with NBA TV that's going to be watching him on. Oh, Daddy, just, Daddy, daddy, yeah, <laughs> daddy, it's a it's an audio format. Raising your hand does not. No, <laughs>
2: the the hand raising was for the people in the room. <laughs> uh,
1: he gets the salary; it's already guaranteed, baby. Yeah, eyeballs don't matter. <laughs>
3: You just said, you said you're said you going to be watching if Washington – nobody's watching Washington. But why does he care? Uh, fair I'll, enough. Tune, I'll tune in. That's the thing about
1: the NBA League pass. Once you buy it, you got it. I'll tune that in. That makes the shots even gotta, less important.
2: I got to support my Wizards. I'll tune in. Yeah. All
1: right. It. But speaking of somebody who's already getting paid, transition. Melvin Gordon was on Jim Rome's <laughs> show today. Talked to Jim Rome. And he said something that we've all been thinking it when you, when people say the quiet part out loud, Melvin Gordon, former pro bowl running back is now a free agent, got a ring with the chiefs, but he said that being a running back sucks. Uh I still want to play, you know, um, you know, I still got some, I got some tread left on the tires and, you know, Andy, Andy, you know, coach Reed kind of sat me down and, you know, he told me that, you know, you still can play and, um, you know, it's just about, you know, the right situation. And it's just so tough for running backs right now, man. You have a lot of running backs that's out there. and We just <laughs> we just don't get no love. It's literally the worst position to play in the NFL right now. You know, it's, it's it literally sucks. He is saying that. That is someone that you think, how does Melvin Gordon not have a team? And he's saying it's the worst position to play in the NFL. That, I'm not saying that I'm shocked that he said it, but I'm shocked that someone did say it a running back of his caliber, where the running backs are getting fed up. And I don't know if there's any recourse for them to get what they feel like they are owed. But to me, it's newsworthy because you have a player just flat out coming out and saying, well, this is the worst position to play in the league. This sucks. Could you imagine Patrick Mahomes just coming out and saying, hey, guys, the $50 million, trade it all back because playing quarterback just sucks in the National Football League.
3: Well, I mean, he's never going to be able to say that because <laughs> ever, all the rules are there to protect him where basically the running back position is battering ram, battering ram. Man, I noticed this guy's hurt a lot. Yeah, because you had me run into a bunch of like defensive tackles for a while, then a bunch of linebackers for a while. It hurts where you hit me too hard as a quarterback. All right, everybody get up. I uh, that 15 yards, we get free plays. And not to mention running backs also,
2: not just when they have the ball, they're also getting hit whenever they got a block for quarterbacks. So, I mean, they're getting hit every play, nine plays out of ten. Damn it's man. rough.
1: Yeah, well, we used to see it where the age of 30 where it would be, hey, that's when, you know, running backs are going to fall off after that age 30 season, you know. Maybe they've already seen their best years. But Melvin Gordon, he's 30 now. And 30 isn't so much, hey, he's only got a couple more years left. 30 is now the age of good luck trying to make a roster this year.
2: Well, and we're we're actually seeing that even younger, too, because look at Dalvin Cook. I mm-hmm. believe he's 28 or 29. Mm-hmm. And then also go back and look at Zeke. I think Zeke is only 28, maybe even 27. And he's struggling to find a job. And he led the league in rushing, what, one, two years?
3: I know for sure one, but I think two years.
4: I'm pretty sure his rookie season he led it too. Yeah, he had like 600 year.
3: Zeke is also a. So the problem I'm having is sort of the messenger on this because Stephen Jackson also kind of had this message a couple of years ago. Whenever he started, I believe he called it the third, the three down back club, where it was a bunch of it was a bunch of running backs who couldn't get jobs, but they were like, hey, we can we can tote the rock all three downs and it's like yeah you could when you were 23 when you right. were 24 now like melvin you've fumbled for half of the afc west like you've coughed the ball up quite a bit zeke it takes you 100 you know 100 carries to get 100 yards now hey he's the best goal line back this out of the mississippi <laughs> okay. though okay <laughs> but that's it's sort of we don't hear this from anyone who's currently like On a team, on a roster, going, man, this is really hard for me. This is really hard for me. It's all the guys that are like, man, why can't I find a job? And so it's the messenger on a lot of the problems with playing running back later in life and still being able to play versus being like, dude, no one wants you to play. Okay, but do you think that that's still true for, let's say, Dalvin Cook? I'm sure he
1: shares that same sentiment that this sucks. That, you know, training camp is coming up fast on us and he is without a team. I mean, so you can say maybe it's the messenger of who said this particularly, but is he wrong about the message? Because I don't think so.
3: No, it's – that's – I'm actually – that's 100 percent what I'm saying is that the message is right. But if it were coming from someone like, let's say – and he would never say this because he's currently in negotiations. But if Josh Jacobs came out and said – You guys know that this hurts, right? Like this is a painful proposition. Like I have to get shot up if my shoulder's messed up so that I can continue to tote the rock this many times and I'm more than happy to do it. But I want to be compensated well into the future about it. That messenger would be taken with a larger degree even though it's the same message and it's both people are correct. I
2: I wonder if that's what – he was kind of alluding to with the text when he said bad business or whatever it was, was this exact thing that Melvin Gordon was saying, being a running back sucks, Raiders don't want to pay Josh Jacobs, even though he just led the league in rushing, they'd rather sign him, and what happens after this season? Saquon Barkley's going through the same thing. Giants don't want to give him a long-term deal, he's on, but then again, he's also been injury-plagued for the last
3: two years, so... And the scariest thing that can happen to a to a running back is what they did to DeMarco Murray, where you come back on this one-year deal, and then the team has no incentive to protect you. Yes, Like the Cowboys run the living wheels off of DeMarco Murray and then are just like, OK, you just led the league in all these stats. All right, good luck with those go-go gadget knees. And he comes back, yep. gets the deal, and then gets cut before any of the guaranteed money comes in.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's one of these issues. Jim Trotter, he wrote about it. And the um, athletic, you know, he's a part of the athletic now. Where the pay disparity for NFL running backs, it's as wrong as it is, as it is wide. Where it is something that we can all sit here, the four of us in this studio can say it's wrong. But the NFL has no incentive to fix what we all can see is a as a pay disparity problem, and that's the part that I really think irks people because you could say. These guys, they contribute to winning without a doubt. But the fact that the NFL just thinks we can churn another one of you out tomorrow, don't worry. I don't know how that gets fixed or if it does get fixed because it's too big of a problem because the NFL, they found their solution is just, hey, we can make another one of you as easy as, let's say, we, the team, created the success that you had.
3: It doesn't get fixed. That's absolutely. We have we have evidence that it doesn't get fixed. Like unless you have Adrian Peterson circa, you know, 2012, there is no reason to at all like not go I could get 90% of this guy's production or even 80% of this guy's production at a third of the price. That's just economics and it's we all agree it's wrong and you're 100% right. There's not a whole lot until you incentivize keeping your people. That's that's all it is.
1: Well, the running back topic, it will not get fixed, but... Delight in the mood. Let's give out some tickets to NBA Summer League. We've got a four-pack of no tickets. If happening. you are calling number nine. It <laughs> felt like it was a little bit of a downer. You know, nobody's been paid. <laughs> okay. Running backs aren't getting paid. But how about we give away something for free? A four-pack of tickets to NBA Summer League that's going to be taking place starting July 7th through the 17th. And you can find those tickets at UNLVtickets.com. But you can call in now if you're calling number 9. 702-365-9200. You want to go see... Big Vic, come on. Him and Brandon Miller, that's the first matchup already announced. Number one, number two. The Spurs have said that Big Vic is going to be playing in Summer League. Who doesn't want to see that? Be calling number 9 702-365-9200. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. And we are back here on Unnecessary Roughness. It is me, Damon Q. Cotton, Danny Smythe, Finhouse behind the board, all right, guys, something that I really wanted to talk about, because I was thinking it before the draft when I was doing the show with Danny's good friend, JVT, who is now vacationing. Yeah, look at him. And that
2: ish hole Merced, as we had a text say. Well, right. he, he's also going to, he's going <laughs> oh, to the yes, Bay the, Area. The Bay Area, yes. I'm, so, I'm actually driving by Merced next week. Uh, look at that, man. Maybe you can confirm for me. I'm just going off of what one texter said. I I've driven – by there through there a couple of times. Oh, you
1: know, that's all you need to do to get the cut of a jib of the town. Just draft through. That's all you need to do. All right, but we were talking about who was going to be the number 2 pick in the draft and he felt that he had got Brandon Miller at good odds, got him at I don't remember the plus, but you know, got a good number on the plus for Brandon Miller. But you saw in the days leading up to the draft, the line was just changing. Is it going to be Brandon Miller? Is it going to be Scoot Henderson? And that brought up the question: When you see these Shams tweets, what you know he's he's a FanDuel employee. D- could Shams in any way affect the line? And FanDuel had to come out and say, in a statement, FanDuel is not privy to any news that Shams breaks on his platforms. And That's I just a don't lie. believe that, That's Degenerate a complete Danny. Lie. Degenerate yeah. Danny, tell us what you
2: think. <laughs> what. I mean, if he is one of your employees mm-hmm. and, I mean, they they have a social media team. So they're seeing the tweets that he's putting out. Now, they're most likely not adjusting lines based on his tweets. That's all. How do we usually, know that? That's usually done. Again, we don't know for certain if they are or not, but that's usually done by either – a lot of people betting one side versus the other or like legitimate news coming out, not just Shams tweeting out saying, Oh, the Hornets seem more interested in a over B or because both players were invited back to Charlotte for Mm -hmm. another workout on Tuesday. It's not like they only invited Brandon Miller or they only invited Scoot Henderson. They were both invited. So, I don't think his tweets had a direct impact on the line shifting, but his tweets probably impacted people placing bets. Yes. And those bets could move the lines, depend, especially depending on how much is bet. So I wouldn't say he has a direct effect on it, but FanDuel is lying saying that they have no idea what he was tweeting. All right, so I want to ask you this. As a man who bets a lot. Correction. I'm not going to say they're <laughs> lying. I'm yeah. saying it's very hard to believe that yes. they didn't know what he was tweeting. Allegedly. Allegedly. Don't say FanDuel. Um,
1: <laughs> so I want to ask you, do you think it's ethical? I'm not saying that Shams shouldn't be allowed to tweet the draft, but do you think that when it comes to the people who are, let's say, DraftKings employees, FanDuel employees, because I remember that one of them, I want to say DraftKings, they made a push for Adam Schefter as well when his contract yes. was up. Do you think when it comes to the newsbreakers like that, that's their one key job, that maybe there is like a little ethical question we should ask about the information that they're putting out to us?
2: I wouldn't say ethical, but I mean he is an MBA insider who just happened to be partners with a sports betting company. But I mean, there's that happens all over the place. I mean, there have been owners in leagues that also owned casinos and stuff like the Maloof brothers mm-hmm. owned I don't know if they still do but did own the Kings they also own the Palms you just couldn't bet on the Palm or bet on the Kings at the Palms but i mean they also got a
1: small piece of the Golden Knights
2: but a small piece yeah but i i mean he's an NBA insider what do they expect i mean people got to take it with a grain of salt i guess i don't i don't know like <laughs> they can't they can't say oh shams is the reason why the line shifted because he's a partner with fanduel i don't think fanduel adjusted lines based on his tweets but they were aware of him i guarantee that
1: yeah so it's just a fun question to pose you know i don't really think that if you're going to be a better you should be using like the best logic that you have out there like I don't think that you should have been trying to hedge your bets. Oh, Sham said that Scoot Henderson is in contention now. I know I took Brandon Miller at plus three hundred, but now I've got to you know well think you're just playing yourself and you don't know what you're doing.
2: But yeah. you're just trying to come out as at worst case even. Yeah.
1: But I do think that when I saw the question posed, because I thought about it. You know, it's just one of those, the, the validation of just having that kernel of a thought when you see other people talking about it on Twitter. Because when JVT was just mentioning, he was like, it's crazy how the line just keeps moving. And, you know, Shams tweets this, Shams tweets that. And as the line is moving, it just makes you think. And that's all we're doing here, guys. We're just asking questions. Just ask questions.
2: That's you know?
4: what I do a lot. Ben, honestly, looks like you, did you want to back up Shams here? I think Danny's right on the fact that it's indirect, his effect. The thing is... I think, for from the most part, what I got from his tweets was that it was a game-time decision. I kind of knew Scoot wasn't going to go number 2 because they already have their franchise point guard in Lamel. They don't need another point guard. Dame is looking to potentially move from the Trailblazers. They're looking to ship him off to another team. So it made sense that Scoot was going to go number 3. But I, I think what his tweets did was he gave people a little bit of uncertainty because most of the times we know who's going to be you know, pick number one, pick number two, normally through various sources like this person came for a second workout. You know, we have sources that this player is out of contention. What Charles is essentially saying was like, this is a toss-up. This is a coin flip. We have no clue who they're going to go with. We are essentially clueless. All we know is it's between Brandon Miller and Scoo Henderson, and that indirectly probably moved the, the, the betting odds just because people kept betting this way or that way.
1: All right, we're going to talk more NBA in the next hour. But coming up, when we come back, Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal is going to be joining us here on Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920.